0: Welcome to the Off-Ramps podcast. I'm your host and co-founder of the Off-Ramp, Kristen. We know what it's like to feel helpless when faced with the magnitude of the world's problems. You want to do something about it, but don't know how or where to start. Well, that's why we're here. At the Off-Ramp, our goal is twofold. First, to keep you informed about the ongoings in immigration, migration, and global affairs. And second, to connect you with opportunities to make a real difference in the lives of forcibly displaced people both near and far. Practical and positive change is possible. Let's work together to make it happen.
1: Hello, everybody. This is going to be a very different, uh, but uh, I am sure exciting for all of us podcast. I'm so thrilled to introduce to you some folks who have been really important uh, in my life and uh, important in the life of the off ramp. First, I'd like to introduce you to my colleague, Sue Smith. Sue and I have been colleagues, oh, 15 years now, Sue, at least. Um, And uh, most recently, um, she has moved into the position of my immediate supervisor. Um, Sue and I have connected uh, for a long time over um, the idea of women, women in ministry and women in their roles as they um, minister in very profound ways to some of the deepest felt needs. And I think that comes from a place of understanding those needs. So as the off-ramp was birthed and as we began uh, visiting with Sue about various needs. We came to know the Seminario. Um, Sue, I'm going to let you say the name because I would mess it up. Seminario.
2: Seminario Intercultural Mayense or in Mayan Intercultural Seminary. So I'll just
1: say S.I.M. from this point. <laughs> um, we got to know S.I.M. and we got to know um, this fascinating and amazing woman, Dahlia, at S.I.M. Dahlia introduced us to somebody named Vero. You all will know her from the project that we have, Vero's Loom. Um, and through that connection, we were able to um, help Vero secure her loom, get some training, and that's a project that's ongoing. But all of that, as it was unfolding, Kristen, on behalf of the off ramp, made a trip to Chiapas to just um, learn what was going on there, to get a feel for how things, um, Operated to get to know Dahlia, get to know Vero. Sue, you went with her. I'm a little bit jealous. You both apparently had a fabulous time without me. And I'm just not sure that's right, Um, but I'll make up for it. So, um, this podcast is uh, our opportunity to introduce you to SIM. Everybody's heard of the pandemic pivot. We've all had to change, we've all had to go in new directions. And today we want to introduce you to what's happened at the at SIM and how they've had to pivot and how you can be a change maker and be involved. Thanks mom for
0: the introduction. I am so excited to have the opportunity to interview Dahlia on this podcast. Dahlia has become a friend. And as I wrote on Facebook yesterday about the seminario, I really was moved by the experience that I had in Jappas uh, with Dahlia and in seeing the work that she does. I asked to bear with us today as we translate, thanks to Sue, uh, my conversation with Dahlia. But I wanted to talk to, to you, Dahlia, today about, at first, just the seminario in general and the kind of work that it does, and why it's so important. Can you give our
3: listeners just a brief introduction to your work and what you do? Sí. es El Seminario Intercultural Mayense es una organización colectiva que desde la cosmovisión y resistencia indígena ofrece herramientas de transformación social
2: and it works uh, with a indigenous cosmo- uh, uh, understanding of the cosmos, and goes through that to uh, form a theology that is consistent with
3: uh, the indigenous understanding. A través de la bíblica teológica, del arte y la construcción de paz. We work through uh, art and through theology. Uh, and through the construction of peace, asimismo, teje con ellas proyectos de desarrollo en el área de autonomía alimentaria, agricultura sostenible y economía solidaria.
2: We also work uh, on sustainable development projects uh, with through around food and agriculture and other types of of community development projects within the indigenous communities. Todo
3: esto es en diálogo con la sabiduría ancestral indígena desde una pastoral ecoteológica. And
2: all of this we do in, in conjunction with a, an, an indigenous understanding of theology and in ways that are culturally uh, relevant to the indigenous
3: populations. Que se encarna en las realidades de las mujeres, de la juventud y de la niñez indígena
2: we try to focus on the reality of women within this culture, as well as children uh, in
0: the indigenous cultures. Dalia, what are some of the real on the ground problems that these women and children especially are facing um, under normal circumstances? And then let's begin also to pivot toward how are those problems, those needs, how have they evolved with the coming of the pandemic?
3: Yo creo que el COVID- especialmente se abonó a todos los problemas que los niños las mujeres y que en general todas las comunidades indígenas ya han tenido dos problemas que veo que son como medulares dentro de las comunidades indígenas es la salud y la educación entonces so, sí um, basically COVID-19 has served
2: as a fertilizer to just augment and to make many of these uh, problems that already existed uh, within the communities even worse. Uh, they've grown uh, tremendously under COVID-19. The two primary ones that I can think of are um, education and what was the other one? la Salud. Salud.
3: Health and education. Estas dos- Justamente develaron y nos siguen eh, manifestando que hay una realidad y una inequidad que han enfrentado las comunidades indígenas desde hace mucho tiempo. No es a través del, del COVID, sino que esto se ha venido arrastrando por años.
2: COVID-19 it caused these problems in the areas of, of inequality with education and health care. But it has served to really uncover and to bring these to the forefront and, and highlight these problems that exist uh, in
3: terms of, of inequality and injustice. Los que se han enfermado de COVID que son de comunidades indígenas no tienen el recurso económico para bajar a un hospital que esté cercano a una ciudad Eh, porque simplemente la salud está privatizada tienes que tener mucho dinero para que te hagan la prueba para que te puedes quedar en el hospital y es por ello que vemos que se están enfrentando estas realidades que antes sí se veían pero ahora se observan con mucho más eh, frecuencia.
2: Um, the people who have become ill with nineteen haven't had the resources to come down out of their villages. Uh, to leave their villages and seek medical care in a hospital. Those are in larger cities, in larger towns, um, and they're privatized. And so these are not people who have the means to go and get a COVID test or to seek health care uh, outside of their village. And that's one of the primary problems that has been, has come to the forefront during this time.
1: So so I wanna, I'm, I'm wondering if you could... Um, perhaps clarify a, a couple of things. I'm curious. Um, so we keep talking about the villages and we're talking about indigenous people. I know when Kristen first went to Chiapas with you, this was a question that I had. What's the difference between somebody who just identifies as Mexican and coming from Mexico and the indigenous people that Dalia is speaking to us about and, and what does it mean to be a collective?
2: Um, I can speak to the part about um, the indigenous people. Um, Chiapas is a heavily, heavily indigenous part of Mexico. Mexico has many, many people who maintain their indigenous traditions and their cultures. And most of them, a lot of them live in small villages outside of, of major uh, towns. Um, and they live in, in these small villages, maintain their traditional ways, maintain their agricultural um, Uh, focus on agriculture. They're mainly uh, subsistence farmers. Uh, They do sell some of their crops, but they, in many cases, they live and maintain their own language and culture. Their schools operate uh, within those villages. And so a lot of times the people are very remote uh, from the average Mexican town or city. um, And they're very insulated uh, from a lot of the rest of the world. And so many of these pockets exist uh, throughout uh, Mexico and Central America of indigenous people who that's their first language. We have many who come to the United States as well who still speak an indigenous language as their first language and Spanish as their second because they've learned that in school. And I'll ask Dalia to explain to us a
3: little bit more about the concept
2: of the collective.
3: Un colectivo de, de mujeres, de niños, en general, un colectivo en general. En general, el colectivo es es una organización de mujeres, de hombres, de niños, de jóvenes que mirando sus realidades tanto económicas como educativas o de ciertos problemas juntan sus esfuerzos para mirar cómo enfrentar esas realidades y entonces a collective
2: in general is a group of people, whether it's children or men or women or um, whoever, that come together around a common problem, a common issue that they are facing within their reality of their community, um, and they join forces to basically to address the needs and that are caused by that issue or by that problem that they have identified. And so they all come together collectively um, to basically work on whatever issue that may be that's, that's the most pressing at that particular point in time.
0: So I have a follow-up question to what Dahlia was saying about health and education. I, I have a really clear understanding now based on our conversation about how the access to health is really been a problem during COVID and has exacerbated the health issues that indigenous peoples face for, um, to begin with. Can she clarify a little bit more how COVID has impacted access to education? I know she and I had talked about this a little bit, but I'd like to learn more and I think that would interest our readers, uh, or excuse me, our listeners as well.
3: De por sí se sabe que en los pueblos indígenas Tenemos una educación deficiente, no se puede comparar a la educación que se da en una ciudad, por ejemplo, Ciudad de México, Puebla, los estados mayores, o, o sea, donde no hay presencia indígena, no existe una comparación de lo que se les da a esos niños de esas ciudades en comparación a las comunidades indígenas. En primer lugar, Los profesores y profesoras ni siquiera manejan las lenguas originarias de los pueblos. Y entonces someten a los niños bruscamente a que entiendan el español sin saberlo. Entonces toman clases en español. Sus maestros no son bilingües. The educational
2: systems in the indigenous villages is deficient to start with. Um, Many of the teachers who come into the villages who teach, uh, they don't understand the indigenous languages. And all of the instruction is done in Spanish, even though the children uh, don't know any Spanish at all. And so it takes the children quite a while to learn Spanish. They must learn Spanish before they can even begin learning their subjects. Um, And so that creates uh, inequities within the educational system from the beginning. And the, you really can't compare in a in a, in um a remote state like Chiapas, the education that is given there to somewhere like Puebla or perhaps Mexico City or the state of mexico there the the system of the educational systems are going to be much better there and provide better for the children than they are in from a very remote
0: and very poor region like Chiapas. How has COVID made that worse? What has been the impact on education specifically? Y
2: el impacto de COVID. ¿Qué es el impacto de COVID para peorar esa sí. situación?
3: Ahora regresaron todas las escuelas a la educación, pero a través de lo virtual. ¿Cómo es posible que el gobierno mexicano impulse una educación Sabiendo que ni siquiera en comunidades indígenas existe el internet, existe la telefonía, existen computadoras. Entonces, ¿cómo va a llegar la educación hasta las comunidades indígenas si no se cuenta con el aparato, con la plataforma que supuestamente el gobierno está ofreciendo? Está diciendo que a través de la televisión abierta se van a pasar. Pero desde hace mucho tiempo ya se quitaron las pantallas pantallas, de cajón, ahora son pantallas de estas que que se están utilizando, ya no son las, las televisiones, sino que ahora son plasmas. Entonces las comunidades indígenas quedaron obsoletas con sus televisiones. Entonces aunque tengan eso, no pueden tener acceso a la educación los niños y eso es a lo que estamos apostando ahora como seminario intercultural mayense apoyar a estos niños que no cuentan con esta educación que supuestamente el gobierno está ofreciendo.
2: The government has moved, uh, just much like we have in the United States, to a virtual platform for education and remote learning and In theory, that sounds really good, or even something that is not just based on the computer, but either even a television-based broadcast. But for the indigenous communities, this is very problematic, because we're talking about uh, villages where phone service is not even uh, available in some cases, uh, or it's spotty phone service, no internet, uh, no computers, no access to any of the technology that they need, or the platforms to be able to access the educational uh, materials that they are sending their way. Um, even the televisions is, are, are sending out the information by television. Um, everything is now plasma televisions and flat screens. And in the villages, the older technology is still prevails with the old box style televisions and the older technology and so even what they are providing for the children um it, the the villages are just not up to speed to be able to handle the technology to be able to teach the children or for the children to learn on their own the same is stepping into that gap and trying to work with some of those children in some of those most remote villages and keep them uh, up at least be able to maintain educationally uh by going into the villages and
0: working with the kids So on that last point, can, um, can Dahlia expand more on what a day in the life of the people who work for SIM looks like when they go into these villages are, you know, are they teaching classes? Are they offering medical care? What does that actual work look like? Help paint a picture for our listeners because it's so far removed from most of our reality.
3: Para poner un poquito en contexto a la gente que nos está escuchando, Aurelia es una mujer maya indígena celtal. Y ella, junto conmigo, que somos indígenas, aunque yo no soy maya, yo soy náhuatl, estar encerradas, y yo creo que para todos y todas en el mundo, es como si estuviéramos en una prisión, porque no tenemos contacto.
2: Aurelia is a young indigenous Mayan woman uh, from the Setal culture, um, who goes into the villages. She's gone back into her home village and spends time working with the kids directly um, to try to address this gap that they have in the education. Uh, Along with Dalia, who is uh, from a different culture, uh, indigenous culture they feel very isolated and very trapped right now with all that is happening with COVID.
3: Entonces Aurelia, <clears throat> junto conmigo hablamos y dijimos, es necesario movernos. Sé que nos da miedo, sé que la pandemia existe, eso es real, y que en cualquier momento nos podemos enfermar del COVID. Pero entonces ella, decidió irse a su comunidad. Y entonces, ¿cómo es un día de Aurelia? El día de Aurelia empieza en la mañana. Se levanta, desayuna y se va con los niños indígenas de 6 a 12 años. Está atendiendo a los niños para eh, ver los problemas que se les dificultan En, la, en las escuelas por ejemplo si no saben sumar si no saben las multiplicaciones este está reforzando un poco el español aunque yo sé y también aurelia lo sabe muy bien que lo poquito como ella ha dicho lo poco que yo sé de esta lengua del español les voy a transmitir a estos niños y a estas niñas porque igual ustedes tienen que saber, Que Aurelia solamente tiene la secundaria. Quisiera ella, a lo mejor quiso en un tiempo terminar otros estudios, pero por diferentes motivos no lo hizo.
2: So even though Aurelia um only has a secondary education or about the equivalent of about an 8th or ninth grade education, Um, She and Dahlia began to talk and to decide that they needed to address this situation for the lack of education with the the kids. And Aurelia went back to her village. A a, a typical day for her looks like waking up in the morning, beginning to work with the kids uh, from about 6 to 12 years old. And really identifying where they are lacking and trying to be able to plug in those gaps, whether it's in just basic Spanish, uh, understanding in Spanish whether it's addition and subtraction, uh, whatever those gaps seem to be in, that partic- in the kids in that particular village, at least to keep them at grade level and keep them functioning uh, during the pandemic and when they're really not receiving much education through the educational system. Um, so they're really working just to address those gaps. Aurelia is, a, is an employee. She lives at the seminary uh, and works together uh, with Dahlia and this project really grew out of uh, the need that they identified as they visited different communities and they realized how isolated and the fact that everything had kind of shut down there's really not a lot they can do right now that they have done in the past so uh, Dalia and Aurelia decided that really addressing the needs of the kids was probably one of the most pressing needs right now.
0: I want to take a moment, just to explain to our listeners something that I learned when I went to Chapas for the first time, and um, surrounding the importance of the work that that Sim does. It's obviously important to for us to value and invest in these indigenous communities, not just because they represent cultures that are evaporating, mm-hmm. that um, are disappearing, but also because, What happens when we don't invest in children who live in these remote villages or in families or women is that people end up displaced. They have to move elsewhere. They have to uh, travel to other parts of Mexico where the injustice is very real. The inequities among these people when they move to other parts of the country are very real. They suffer significant Um, abuse at the hands of, of other groups and communities within the country of Mexico. And so while there might be other economic opportunities that are found in other parts of the country, It really isn't necessarily safe or helpful for them to always travel outside of their home villages so what sim is doing and has done even before covid is invest in people where they are now if you've heard us talk about that if you think you've heard us talk about that before it's because we have the off-ramp is all about investing in people to prevent displacement so that they can flourish, so that they can thrive not just survive where they are. Now if you become displaced then we also want to help you at that point but the work of Sim aligns so perfectly with what the off-ramp is doing and at this point especially their work is is keeping these kids educated and some of these people alive. Um, Sue, so I'm wondering if you could just for Dahlia's information and uh, context paraphrase a little bit of what I just said, and then ask her to clarify maybe how they're contributing to the health inequities during COVID in the villages.
3: Desde el año pasado, no sé si, si fue el Espíritu de Dios que nos estuvo diciendo, pero el año pasado estuvimos dando for un año, eh, estuvimos ofreciendo eh, talleres para levantar promotores de salud. Beginning Entonces,
2: about a year ago, it uh, probably just the Holy Spirit was working in us and to encourage us and to give us the idea of working within the communities to uh, raise up health supporters,
3: healthcare supporters, or healthcare uh, practitioners tenemos a un amigo que es voluntario del SIM y que es médico tradicional indígena maya pero también está estudiando eh, la licenciatura para terminar la medicina entonces so
2: we, we, have a, we have a young man that's in our uh, that works closely as a volunteer with the SIM um, who has a background in traditional medicine in indigenous medicine and customs within uh, his tradition and he is also a university student finishing up his medical degree and combining those two.
3: Entonces estuvimos dando eh, talleres de salud comunitaria a través de este amigo que ha trabajado toda la herbolaria chiapaneca rescatando las plantas que tienen en las comunidades indígenas para sacarle todo el beneficio because it's very difficult for veces para las communities tener dinero para comprarse algún medicamento que está costoso, pero que se tiene a través de una planta para sanar the temperatura eh, y otras enfermedades Perdón. and so
2: we began to work through this young man as a volunteer with his vast amount of knowledge of both uh medicine in, in a more modern sense as well as traditional medicine. Uh, we began to collect plants from the forest and to categorize those and rescue some of those traditions of using herbal medicines and herbal treatments because many people in the indigenous cultures simply don't have the money that is needed to go out and buy medicines in a pharmacy. And so that's a way that we have begun to go back and to be and address that issue uh, through our volunteer here in this community.
1: Another thing that I think uh, it might be very important for our listeners to understand that we continue to bring up regarding displacement um, and why the work of SIM of, of is so important. Anytime someone is displaced, there is a significant increase in the risk of human trafficking. Um, and especially since labor trafficking is, most people don't realize this, the most prevalent form of human trafficking that exists. And because between, uh, between the fact that we share a border, so much of that labor trafficking is happening in this direction. To prevent displacement, to have education and health care, um, to empower women, um, and to prevent that displacement is not only to prevent the dangers that may come to them, uh, but uh, to prevent the human trafficking that exists uh, worldwide, but especially um, between the United States and um, our the countries to our South.
0: I want to ask Dahlia now how we can support SIM. I will talk about the fundraiser that we're hosting in a few days uh, toward the end of this podcast. But before I dig into that, can she speak to how anyone any church any individual any organization can support sim and what that looks like and what their needs are
3: yo creo que la primera es con su sus oraciones para este proyecto que tenemos aquí en méxico en chiapas y sabemos que las comunidades indígenas siempre han sido vulnerables y aún más ahora con la pandemia entonces si nos pueden apoyar con alguna ofrenda para eh, seguir continuando ofreciendo estos talleres, no solamente de educación alternativa para nuestros niños y niñas de las comunidades, pero también para hacer conciencia desde la salud, volver a lo natural. Nuestras comunidades tienen una amplia gama de plantas que pueden volver a traer a la memoria colectiva como han ayudado estas plantas durante generaciones. Entonces, yo creo que de esa manera nos pueden ayudar eh, las personas, sean este, iglesias o a, a titulo personal, eh, enviando sus oraciones y enviando ofrendas.
2: I believe some of the main ways that Both individuals or churches can support the SIM. It begins with your prayers, your prayers for the projects that we're involved in and for the things that we are doing. Uh, Pray for us. Um, And if you feel feel led to give uh, your offerings, will help to support the projects that we're doing. They'll help us as we go into the villages to uh, address these gaps in education with the children, as well as going in through our help promoter uh, project to help people rescue from their, that collective memory of what medicinal plants can do and of what a great wealth of resources that actually exist in the environment without having to go out and buy something else. Um, but just pray for us. And if you feel led, please donate and that will help us to support these projects and provide travel funds and other funds for us to go into the villages and continue work with these projects.
0: As we near our time together for this podcast, I wanted to make a personal plea, a personal ask. When I traveled to Chiapas a year ago, I really didn't know what to expect. I was excited. I was excited to discover a new place to meet new people. I was really excited for the potential of the Off Ramps partnership with Vero and um, her friends and colleagues facilitated by Sim. What I did not anticipate is how moved I was by the work that Sim does, by the work that Dahlia does. Uh, I left feeling as if they had touched on something that eludes so many of us. They had figured out how to respond in a very real way to real needs among people in their community the impact that Sim is having is tangible. There are no more fundamental contributions to our thriving as humans than education and health. Without an education, without good health, nothing else is possible. And so by addressing the needs of children and of women in particular in fragile communities, by addressing these needs in particular, they are setting up so many people and entire communities for success in the future, for success that looks and feels natural to them. Not success that forces them to go elsewhere. Not success that forces them to speak in a language that isn't theirs. Not success that forces them to be someone they aren't. Success that is their own. I was so moved by Sim and by Dahlia and by her team. And I left knowing that I had to participate, that I had to help in some way. And I didn't know that that way would be now, or that that time would be now. but I know it I know it today. What Dahlia won't tell you is that none of them take a salary. What Dahlia won't tell you is that she's she is incredibly generous with her time, with her resources, as limited as they may be. And Sim needs our help to help others. Sim needs our financial contributions to continue doing the very good work that they are doing COVID has not made things easier it has made things far more difficult for them and yet they march on and so as i put it in a facebook post yesterday i was moved a year ago and now it's time for me to move and it's time for me to get others to move we are putting together a fundraiser that will take place on September 19th, Saturday, September 19th, as well as Wednesday, September 23rd. Now you can donate at theofframp.org to Sims Project at any point in the future. We will continue supporting them in this way. But what we're doing on the 19th and on the 23rd is to tell you more of these stories, to introduce you to Sim in an even more real way, and to familiarize you with the impact that, the, her te- that Dahlia's team is having. We're gonna do this through sharing stories from me and my friend Colin, who have both traveled there. We're gonna have more conversations with Dahlia. We're gonna interview the founder of Sim, who no longer is there, but talk to her about her intent in creating the project and the organization every little bit goes a long way sim doesn't need relatively speaking that much money to do their work this is real change that we can make happen in a relatively short period of time and i'm asking you to contribute to that i've seen the work on the ground and i can attest to how good and how real and how impactful it is and so if you are looking to participate in something like that this is an opportunity for you. Our tagline is become a change maker. We look for the opportunities and we pass them along to you so that you can participate in whatever way makes the most sense to you, whether that is through prayer, whether that is through just joining our conversations and learning more throughout the duration of this fundraiser on the 19th and the 23rd, or whether it is through financial donations. All of the information about our fundraiser is on our Facebook page. You can also subscribe to our email and we'll send out regular updates about it. I hope you join us. I hope you've been able to tell just a little bit how meaningful Dahlia's work is at SIM and that of her team. And I hope that you feel moved in the way that I was when I was there. I'm going to step off my soapbox now and ask Sue to ask Dahlia if there is anything else that she would like to tell our listeners before we
3: sign off today. I see la... Creo que tenemos la oportunidad de ofrecer nuestros dones, nuestros talentos, todo lo que Dios ha puesto en nuestras manos para el servicio del prójimo, del cercano, pero también del que está lejano. No nos limitemos a hacer el bien, como dice Pablo. Hacer el bien, buscar la paz como Jesús la construyó con Fue una comunidad de pescadores, pero también había mujeres. Hicieron comunidad, vieron la realidad y ayudaron. Entonces, estas inequidades que vemos en el mundo, eh, que vemos a través de la pandemia, nos hacen ver que todavía no alcanzamos a llegar a decir que está completa la obra que empezó este creador que soñó. Eh, seguimos buscando la justicia seguimos sembrando en corazones la conciencia y esperamos que dios nos ayude a escuchar en medio de estos tiempos su voz que su espíritu nos siga invitando a apoyar desde lo que podamos al que lo necesita en este tiempo les agradezco muchísimo a Anil, Neil, a Kirsten, a Sue y a todos los que nos están escuchando por todo este tiempo que han prestado. Sé que los tiempos no solamente en Estados Unidos, también en México son importantes. Y así es que les agradezco por esta atención que han brindado a, a esta palabra que hemos dado, a este diálogo que se ha formado. Muchas gracias y que Dios nos bendiga.
2: I believe that we are called to use our gifts and our talents and all of our resources for the good of serving our neighbor, both our neighbor that is close by as well as our neighbor who is far away. As the Apostle Paul has called us, we are to serve in this way. And I'm very thankful for the opportunity and for those who will come alongside us and share with us uh, as we address these needs. And I'm very thankful to Nell and to Kristen and to Sue and for all of the support that the Off-Ramp has provided to us and that they have individually provided to us. And may God bless each of them and may God bless each of you as our listeners.
0: Thanks for listening to the Off-Ramps podcast. If you were inspired to act during this conversation, you can find us and learn more at theofframp.org. Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Helplessness and hopelessness do not have to define your future or the world's. Become a changemaker today.